listening to The Embodiment Project, a podcast exploring the multiple dimensions of people of color and all of the ways we embody our gifts in the world. How do you embody your highest self? the multidimensional mommy and I'm here today bringing you a brand new episode of our monthly theme on sexuality thank you so much everyone out there who has been listening along to these episodes as I've been crunching them out I am so pleased with the response that the podcast has received in the few short weeks that we have been live and by we I mean me because believe it or not i do this all by myself (laughs) i am so inspired by all of the podcasters that i have been following for years who you know operate with a team who have a village you know it takes many hands to make light work and so i totally look up to folks who have editors and people doing this podcast editing stuff um, for them. I'm the kind of person who likes to understand how things work. Um, I definitely am in, I'm super enjoying the editing process, the creative process, but I'm also trying to find my sound. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the flow that I want this show to follow. And so far it's coming. I think I'm feeling it more than ever, like really seeing what I want the show to sound like and feel like and make people feel when they're done. But I need to go through the motions and learn all the back end procedures on my own first. And then eventually I would like to hand off the editing to someone who can basically just recreate what I want every week. But I need to figure out what that is first, right? So So I just want to say thank you. Thank you all for sticking it out with me over the last few weeks. Um, You know, I'm I'm learning about sound and connections and editing and all kinds of really interesting things, mixing, and I'm just having so much fun with it. But I, I do feel like I have a long way to go and I'm excited to get there. I'm excited to get there. One more thing I wanted to mention is that This podcast is called The Embodiment Project for a reason. It is a project. It's a passion project for me. I am not getting paid to do this and I am simply doing this because I I just have a passion for radio, for audio, for music, and all of the things that I talk about on this show are things that are very important to me. And so it is a project, meaning that I'm not super committed to it in the sense that I have to, you know, I'm really hard on myself. I have to meet these deadlines. I have to, you know, get sponsors and stuff like that. I'm not interested in doing that right now. I think for me, this is an experiment to see if this medium of podcasting, this medium of audio content is something that I want to do more of. And 
and it's also a project because it's just like healing it's not a linear experience it's it's a project because it's going to have its ups and downs and it's learning lessons and that's really what it's what it's been so i wanted to share that because um this isn't the type of podcast where you're going to get this cookie cutter structure every week there may be some changes along the way and that's just kind of how i live my life in general where i like to mix it up sometimes i like to try something different i'm not super committed to doing the same thing over and over and over every single day so while i appreciate podcasts like that who follow the same structure in every episode because it's dependable and you can count on it i also really enjoy doing things differently so if you are down with that stick around because there's going to be more of that in the future um you're going to hear from you know people from my own family you're going to hear from folks far and wide who i have the pure pleasure and honor and privilege to speak with about important and life-altering conversations and i'm so excited that i get to share that with all of you here in this space so thank you all so much and today i have a very special guest someone i deeply admire today i'm having a conversation with cindy lukin she's a sex educator scholar activist reiki practitioner and speaker and as a first generation salvadorian guatemalan daughter of immigrants she has survived domestic violence and battled depression she marries the concepts of reproductive rights and social justice i mean is there really any other way <laughs> with her work in reproductive education and justice i am so honored to welcome cindy to the podcast today we talk about the racist history of modern gynecology and just what it means to be a womb carrying person on this earth especially when there is so much policing of our bodies we talk about 90s hip hop which was a lot of fun and Cindy shares how she embodies her highest self which I'm really excited for y'all to listen to so without further ado welcome to a conversation between me and Cindy Lukin We met we met in person at Portos mhm but we met on over Instagram right Yeah I you know I think we met through Renee and um the Latina Mothers Collective or collaborative right I think yeah. it was with Marisol and I think that I, I must have seen you with that crew uh-huh and then that's when i started following you oh you started following me okay and then we we kind of followed each other and liked each other's stuff and then i think we just exchanged messages and was like you're cool like you seem cool like let's meet up <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah it was like that basically yeah and then we met at portos and we had potato balls and all the goodies i miss it so <laughs> i've been wanting to go i need to go but i don't know what it's like right now i guess you just order ahead and pick it up. Yeah, but I <laughs> the sad thing is I think that 
the line is shorter because you know that line was always ridiculous uh, i haven't been i wanted to go the other day and i was like i want my cheese and guava pastries oh, yes yeah those are the days <laughs> <laughs> i love it well i'm so glad that we did meet because i feel like when we met the first time we met in person there was definitely like a like a connection right away like instinct madre like you just were down for like everything that I care about, you know, and um, I think in particular, your work around sexual wellness, reproductive justice has always really inspired me because you are having the hard conversations, you know. Um, what do you notice right now people are like really needing support around in your work? I just, first of all, the fact that you say that my work inspires you, it makes my heart feel so warm. <laughs> it makes me feel so happy. I feel so loved. Thank you for even saying that. Cause you know how it is. Like when you're in this, like, is it resonating with people? Am I the only one that cares about this shit? <laughs> you know, yeah. right? Am I the only one that's mad sometimes, you know? Um, so that makes me feel good. Thank you. Thank you. And you're a comadre too. I'm glad that we've always like, hit it off and click you know um I think right now what people need is to feel reassured that sex education and reproductive rights is not going to disappear you know and reproductive justice is not going to disappear I think after four years of 45 yeah. um is it traumatized a lot of people. It re-traumatized so many of us, right? And it's constantly like, is this going to be gone? Is it, you know, now it's going to impact this. Is it, am I going to be able to access abortion? Am I going to be able to have birth control? You know, um, so all these very real things that impact everybody's life. I just think that people want to be more educated and understand and find where they feel like this, um, they can find those resources, you know? So I'm, I'm happy to see that the sex education space and reproductive justice space is getting more um, eyes on it and people want to join and people want to advocate for it and want to participate. And, and I um, always try to bring awareness to it. Like, hey, join this organization, support them, um, hire them to, to teach you about reproductive justice. I think too, like, because we're also traumatized by how many human rights violations have occurred over the last four years. It's kind of like, like we're all, I, I can't speak for everyone, of course, but I feel like so many of us are broken, you know, we're, we're broken in so many different ways and we're trying to put ourselves back together during a global pandemic, you know, with, with the added, um, challenge you know with that in the way um at the same time I feel like a lot of people are really going deeper within you know because we have to out of like pure survival it's like well what do you do what do you do when everything's falling apart you go within and you you reground yourself back to where you came from you know whether the earth your ancestors you know family community and so um I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm grateful that folks like you are doing the work and having the hard conversations because even though we're experiencing all of this, 
those human rights violations are still happening even more because we're vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially in our communities, right? We're in a vulnerable space mentally with our mental health right now. I think a lot of folks are struggling. Um, so when people reach out to you for support, what does that look like? And who who is it that you're supporting the majority of the time? Um, usually, you know, I actually get a lot of I've always gotten um, student organizations like at universities or different college campuses. They're the ones that reach out to me the most. And I'm always grateful because like young, young people like, and it makes me so happy that they're taking their health into their own hands and they're realizing how important it is for them. Because at that age, I was like, just give me a pill. <laughs> I don't want to get pregnant. Like I'm good, you know, Um, but they really are out here. Like I want to learn a different perspective. What can this person teach me? So I'm super grateful for that. Um, The last one that I did the last workshop for this year was with the UC Santa Barbara student organization. They, their reproductive justice organization and, um, yeah, they had a bunch of questions at the end. They were like, how do we navigate, um, you know, interracial relationships? You know, how does, how does that happen? Um, or navigating colorism in, cause I specifically teach for, you know, Latinx communities. Um, how do we navigate those things? And you know, so I'm glad because it gets me thinking too, you know, I think it, it continues to help me challenge myself in the work too. And, and realizing like, you, you got to keep up because these next generations, like <laughs> they're always going to challenge and keep you on your toes, which is good, right? Like that's what we wanted as an elder millennial now, which is so <laughs> weird to say. <laughs> that is, that, yeah, that's strange a strange place to be yeah no that gives me hope too knowing that like the youth the young folks the up-and-coming generation like they are already so advanced because they're asking those questions you know um granted they have a lot more access to porn and you know all the all the things that are in the interwebs um Mm -hmm. which i think allows for it allows for them to learn more quickly, you know what I mean? But not always like the good things and not always the bad things, you know, there's two sides to everything. So um, maybe not actually, no, I take that back because I'm really trying to unlearn the idea of binaries right now. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there are not two sides of everything, but there's many sides. And um, I think that the younger folks asking those questions shows us that they're already kind of ahead of the game when it comes to these important topics, you know, like, like you, like you mentioned. Um, and I think what's always drawn me to your work too, is how you marry so well, the ideas of racism, like you mentioned, colorism, and reproductive health, and sexual wellness, because I feel like a lot of folks will try to be like sexual wellness educators, but they completely ignore the racist history of reproductive. Like reproductive oppression. Yeah, reproductive oppression and like the history of like gynecology, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. 
the, the medical history. Can you share a little bit about that? Like for maybe folks who that information is new to like, yeah. So, um, you know, this isn't work. I always say this isn't work that I created, right. I'm just amplifying what's already been done by so many black educators, black women specifically, um, who started movements like reproductive justice. Um, there's different points in American history. Um, if we go back to slavery, um, you know, enslaved black women were used, their bodies were used to experiment upon and to, to um, master techniques without anesthesia, keep in mind, to then um, perfect that technique and use it with anesthesia on white women's bodies. You know, so just a very violent history in modern gynecology today would literally would not exist without the bodies of black folks. And I always think of the book, um, This Bridge Called My Back, which is like the Bible of um, women of color and scholars and all of that. Um, it's a book that was written in the 80s. It's a really, really great book for anybody interested who's never read it. Um, yeah, and you know, incidences like that also, you know, indigenous folks um, who were sterilized, forced to, to be sterilized also in history. Um, and also what I think it, it, what we forget is that these traditional practices, like everybody's now trying to be more holistic and the natural lifestyle and wellness, you know, um, but these traditions and these sciences, because they were, right, I'm also trying to remember that in thinking about Indigenous ancestry, that I'm not oversimplifying, like, this was some type of magical, magical thing. It was like, no, th this was based on science. It was based on science and the environment, the need for it. Um, it was also self-preservation. And so they had to, there was a lot of trial and error how they came about these sciences, right? And so things like your work, being a birth worker, being a doula, tracking one cycle, uh, even understanding sexuality, it all is a, a science that came from ancestors and generations before us. Yeah, I think we all have ties to those ancient sciences like you're talking about right and um and also like with the the onslaught of birth control as we know it today like our ancestors even had ways mm -hmm. to track their cycles and to know when you know they were expecting babies but because of the birth control that's so readily available nowadays we've kind of lost those rituals and those that that understanding Mm -hmm. But you do a lot of work around tracking. Yeah, so I actually started out with that because um, I've done several interviews. So if anybody goes to the website, they can <laughs> find out like how I even came to this work. But long story short, I had an ovarian cyst. I had it removed and it, my ovary went with it. And then I stopped birth control because it caused that cyst. And I wasn't offered another option then. I decided to search for myself and that's when I came across, you know, it's, it has different names. It's fertility awareness method. It's cycle tracking. It's 
um, synthothermal method, you know, like has all kinds of different things, um, but not to be confused with the rhythm method because it's not like calendar and predicting, but um, it's just real time tracking your cycle and, and, not and noticing the different fertility, fertility signs, right? Um, and that's really when I started, I decided like, I really wanna learn this. And I joined a program to learn all the different things about that. And it's been really helpful, you know, it's just reaffirmed and I've been using that method for, what is it, five years now? It's effective, right? It's effective if you follow it the way that it's intended to, which is you make sure that you're tracking and you're really, really paying attention to your cervical mucus and, and all of that stuff, which when can be hard. I'm not gonna say it's for everybody, but yeah. I think if somebody, is really determined to learn it, then then they can. When you're talking about tracking, are you talking about using like an app that helps you track or like writing something, like keeping a journal of some kind? So there's different ways. Some people like to be really old school. Some people also have a fear of like having their information, their data, right? They're like very uh, personal bot bodily fluid data in an app, but it's like, your information is already in the phone, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, but anyways, um, yeah, so there's apps, right, that you can use that um, are specifically tailored to entering that information, like cervical mucus, um, basal body temperature, and then also checking your cervical position. Um, there's other apps that are known as like period apps that where you just enter your period day one and then the last day, then it will make a prediction on when you're going to ovulate, right? And then when your next period should come. But I always tell people, be wary of those because those are just digital rhythm methods. The way those work is, it doesn't have a full picture of what's going on daily. And if it's not, then it's basing it on the very, simple fact um, that it's assuming that you have a 28 day cycle. And if it's assuming that, then it's assuming you're ovulating on day 14. And that can really mess a lot of people up, you know, depending on what your, your fertility goals are. If you're trying to not get pregnant, that can mess you up. If you're trying to get pregnant, it can mess you up too, you know? Yeah. So um, are we, I always tell people. Are we talking about messing you up like you're one or two days off? or it's really, it's really dependent on your cycle, right? Like however many mm -hmm. days your cycle is. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I find that so interesting because that's like basic, like human anatomy, like that's basic, like human physiology. And a lot of us don't know that. <laughs> like I, I didn't know either. Oh, I, I didn't either. Like all of this is fairly new to me too as an adult, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, that's what takes me back to the question of like, why are we failing so miserably at teaching children about their bodies? Right. I was going to say like teenagers, but I'm like, no, it's never too early to teach a child about their body and to educate them on, you know, body literacy and knowing what's happening in your body and being able to feel what, feels good or doesn't feel good in your body. Those are all like super vital lessons that we often lack. And then when we're with a partner, we don't know what we feel because we've never 
tuned in to what our, what feels good in our body or what doesn't feel good, you know, or, or even um, like, like you're saying, like knowing when you're ovulating, how do you, how do you know, how do you tell? And again, I just, I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation and that you do the work you do. I mean, even with doula clients, sometimes, you know, they've already gotten pregnant and they are not aware of how they don't know how they got pregnant in some cases. Mm. Um, so I feel like it's so important. It's so important for us to know these things. It is. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're saying that because I forget. I was having this conversation with my husband the other day and, you know, some of my friends are expecting a, a kid. I was like, do you think they had a conversation? And then he was like, you think everybody has a conversation? Sometimes people just like don't. And I'm like, you're right. I keep forgetting like, cause I, cause I have the privilege now of knowing so much of this information. Sometimes I have to go back to the time when I didn't know all of this stuff. And I'm like, yes, you're right. Like <laughs> in my mind, I want to think we're all here together, you know, but there's still so much um, gaps to fill in for folks. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of that. And I wanted to add how you were talking about like young children I had a friend that told me recently, and this was a perfect analogy. She was saying to her child how they're learning how to listen to their bodies when they need to use the restroom. They were saying, that's how your intuition works. When you feel like you need to go pee or poo, listen to that because that's your body talking to you. And she was like, so that's how I explained intuition to them. What feels good for your body? And I was like, that is the simplest way I have ever heard that. And I asked her, can I use that? She's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to start using that from now on because that is really the simplest way, I think, even for adults to, to remember. Like, it's really that simple that your body's communicating to you. And what, ha what happens when you don't listen to your body? You will shit your pants or you'll piss your pants, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's great. I'm gonna have to use that one too with Corey. I think um, because, you know, when I did learn about how all these things work, when I it was around the time that I became a parent myself, because when I got pregnant, I didn't know I was ovulating, you know? I, I probably wouldn't have had sex that day if I did, you know? But <laughs> Corey was a little surprise, a little unexpected surprise. And, um, I'm grateful for her every day, you know, she was a little surprised that like totally changed my life. But realistically, as like a 21 year old in college, like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know. And I feel like when I had her, it made me think like, okay, once once I learned more of this information, I, again, like you said, it's a privilege to know this information, um, which I, I hope folks really take to heart hearing this, you know, because we get to share this with people who may, it may be the first time they're hearing anything like this, but it made me think like, how can I not let her grow up to be a 21 year old who doesn't know how she got pregnant? You know, how can I save her that, that experience and prepare her for what the world is like and what it's like to be a woman in this world, you know? And ultimately that was like being honest with her about everything pretty much, you know? Um, I will say that she's turning nine tomorrow and this is the first year that she does not believe in Santa anymore. 
Mm. So that's like one thing that I always carried a lot of guilt about. And like, I always want to be honest with her about everything, but I did like tell her there was a Santa and play along with the whole thing, you know? So I'm going to have to do like a warning for people to not listen to this with their kids in the car. Cause that happened to me once I was driving with her oh. and I was listening to a podcast and they were like, oh yeah. Like, like the way we tell kids Santa's real. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, Corey, cover your ears. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, like being honest with her about as much as I can in a, in an age appropriate way, you know, mm-hmm. and also letting her lead, like letting her ask questions and letting her determine when we learn certain things. And so when it comes to sex education, I mean, we've been learning it since she was in diapers, you know, when I would clean her, I would, I would ask her for consent. I would, or I would tell her like, okay, I'm going to wipe you on your vulva now, like already practicing using that language with a little baby because Mm -hmm. to be quite honest it doesn't come naturally you know saying vulva saying vagina saying sex like all the like scary words that I was never allowed to really say as a kid because I was terrified of you know getting in trouble and looked at as like a cochina or something you know like I say those I've been saying those words with her you know and we have all these books about anatomy and we both love like human anatomy we're always like talking about how our bodies work. We love the magic school bus, you know, like we're doing all the things we can to teach her as much as she can, she can learn about her body so that when she's an adult, she knows what's going on, you know, but, um, but that's just us, you know, and that's because this is something that's really, really important to me. Like Mm -hmm. our, our bodies, the way that we listen to our bodies, like you said, is so huge because for years and years, if you're, conditioned not to listen to your body and just do things when people say to do them you lose that connection yeah you lose that connection with yourself you do and I think that it's so good to hear that you're you do that with your daughter because yeah it's so important I I never had conversations about you know, my education was, and I think for many people that are going to listen to this episode was when I got my period, it was like, ya no eres niña. You're not a girl, a little girl anymore. Tene cuidado, you know, be careful. Cause now your body that menstruates is a threat to a man because now your body's going to start changing because now boys are going to look at you older men will look at you too, right? So there's that, always that potential of the male gaze is a threat. Um, And you know, our moms and our abuelitas, they don't have the language, they were taught to protect too. So so just repeating what they heard too was what worked for them to survive so long. And that's something that I talked about in my grad thesis, you know, for so long, I. I remember growing up thinking, how can they put up with this shit? <laughs> you know, like the the machismo, the toxic masculinity, the misogyny, you know, the, the belittling. And then I finally realized like, this is how they survived. They, they did not have another option. They had kids and they always put us first. And I'm grateful for all of that sacrifice And then I realized like that didn't have to be my story too, you know? And I think 
the little seeds that they had planted, right? In, in the platicas and the consejos and the, the conversations. And then, it, and then me later, like watering that or, you know, friends or whoever to become who I am today. And, and hopefully I'm able to, one of my goals is to be able to plant those kinds of seeds in my nieces and nephews' lives. So that way when they grow up, they're even more woke or liberated or whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know? Yeah. When you were, when you were saying that, I was thinking about the idea that there's so many generations before us and so many generations to come after us. And I love that idea because it, it makes us feel less alone. You know, it's like we, the struggles we're going through right now, there's generations of people before us who experience the same thing in different, in different ways. Um, but then I think too, like, for what about for folks who choose not to reproduce? You know what I mean? Like, that's not to say that they're not continuing their lineage. You know what I mean? I feel like that's another like common thing that we would be told too, right? Like mm -hmm. once you start your period and it's like, watch out, don't get pregnant. And then later you get older and you start getting married and they're like, when are you gonna have a baby? And it's like, what the fuck? Like, why are you always talking about what I'm doing with my body? You know, yeah. it's like, you know, we, we see this everywhere. We see these, we see this in the, in the, in the government. We see this, you know, reflected in everything really when it comes to how women, you know, operate and how they carry themselves. And because our bodies are constantly being exploited and, and it's really sad, um, especially like raising a daughter, like, and like I said, being honest with her about things, I have to be honest with her about things like that. You know, I have to tell her the mm -hmm. truth about the way that her body's changing and that certain people are going to look at her or think things about her, but and how to protect herself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but going to, back to my original point, because I, I <laughs> diverted a little bit. What do you, what would you say to someone who comes to you and is just like, like, how do they deal with that type of, that type of um, pressure, you know, because something I, I saw on your website that I absolutely loved was building a sex positive cultura, right? And part of our cultura is, is that part, you know, like women are supposed to reproduce, women are supposed to have babies, that's how you continue your lineage. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we deal with that? You know, how do we uplift folks around that? This is very personal. Um, so I'm going to speak more from like my personal experience because for the longest time, I, I thought I did want kids, right? And then I had my surgery, then I got into grad school and, and then I realized like, and I had back surgery, you know, I had like a, a number of years of like just healing and trying to get over like a lot of health, health stuff. And then once all of that stopped and I had time to just like sit and reflect and I started going to therapy and all this stuff, I started realizing like, who am I wanting to have kids for? Is that something I want? Do I really want that for myself? And then I remember I actually did go to therapy and this was like a year ago, almost, yeah. And I finally like had the courage and I felt, I think I felt comfortable enough. And I told my therapist, I said, 
I think I've come to a place in my life where I'm okay and I don't want to have kids. Like I, there's something in me. I never pictured that for myself. You know, when you hear different people like one day I'm going to have a kid, I imagine, and this, that, that picture never existed for me. And I always felt like I had to force that vision for myself, you know? Um, Cause that's kind of like what's expected. Yeah. So when I finally accepted, like, that's just me, <laughs> then came all like these guilty feelings, right? And I was like, oh crap, how am I gonna tell my family? <laughs> or like, even if they asked, cause I wasn't like, just gonna go up to them and be like, no quiero hijos, you know? <laughs> right? well, like make this all announcement. Yeah. yeah, you know? Um, my mom has had a hard time with it, for sure. My mom's had a really hard time with it. Um, then there comes like a lot of guilt, right? Um, and I, and I think people always, uh, for me again, for my personal story, I think people always attribute it to like, well, you're traumatized because you grew up in domestic violence. So obviously you're never going to want to have kids because you don't want to pass that on to them. And it's like, no, I just really have never pictured myself with children. And then, you know, society especially among latinx communities it's like random senoras or senores like how can you do that to them ¿Cómo le puedes hacer eso a tu esposo? Andale, dale un hijo. you know like and it's like excuse me senora <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> like okay uh, you know I, I try to be polite too because you're raised to like respect their elders but I'm also, esta señora que se cree, like, she can just <laughs> tell me what I'm going to do in my life and my body, you know. Um, and my husband's heard it too. So I, it, I think our families are now at a point where, like, they don't, they're the don't ask, don't tell <laughs> type of thing now. Or they think that something is physically wrong, like infertility, therefore it's not happening, oh, you know. Yeah, but they don't know, like. But they don't the know. Or maybe they just are, or also they probably have just given up at this point, which either way, whatever they're thinking, not thinking, I have accepted it now and I'm okay and I've moved on, you know? Yeah. Is, is this something that they would like bug you about? Like they were pressuring you before? They, they would pressure us before. And I remember my husband and I were like, okay, you know, year whatever, we're going to start. And then, you know, every year we talk about it, like, are we still on the same page about this? Like, yeah, no, we're good. Literally, what 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 we envision for ourselves, we want to be those those cool tios that like come over for the summer, leave your parents. We're gonna do all the fun shit. Go back home when it's time for school. <laughs> you know, let's travel. Let's go see different parts of the world. Like that brings me so much joy to think about that, and I really would like to to offer that to them. You know. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot because um, even though I do have a child, I don't want any more. And mm -hmm. I I still get asked sometimes, like, do you ever think about having another one? Like, are you sure you don't want another one? And I'm like, she's almost 10 years old. Like, no, I don't want another one. Like, for me, no, I don't. I don't. I just don't. And that's why the surrogacy experience for me was, I think, as positive as it was, because there's no part of me that feels like I would want another baby. So at no point did I feel connected or like this sense of longing for the baby after I gave birth, because I just, I don't have that feeling in me, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Like you just know, like you just know when you do or you don't. So I don't know. I found that really interesting, but, um, but I think too, like for me, when I think about what a sex positive cultura looks like, it's, it's like number one, not pestering folks to do anything with their body, whether it's don't get an abortion, get an abortion, have babies, don't have sex when you're 15, like, you know, whatever, like number one, like stopping the policing of bodies in general. I'm not going to say female bodies or male bodies or femme bodies or trans bodies, just bodies in general, you know, stop policing our bodies and let us make our own fucking decisions about what we want to do. (laughs) And also, and also have difficult conversations about sex, you know, have uncomfortable conversations about sex, use the language for our anatomical body parts, you know, and that's for me, what I would love to see in the future. Mm -hmm. Thanks for saying that. Cause you know, Instagram, I'm always like, what kind, what would you like? And I, and every time I ask a question to the community, (laughs) when folks don't answer, it just continues to reaffirm to me how, how, there's still so much hesitation to to speak up. Like, what do you want me to cover? And people are like, great photo. And I'm like, are you not reading what I put up? <laughs> you know? I hate that shit. When you have like a call to action and you're like, tell me, you know, I'm, a, I'm at your disposal. Like, tell me what you want to learn. Tell me what you want me to talk about. And they're like, you look gorgeous. <laughs> like, yeah. Thanks. But like, I really want you to answer the question, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just really people are hesitant still. And yeah, we have to build a sex positive cultura together. Um, because the, we have to correct that. We have to moving forward. Because if you think about it, going back historically for a little bit like this is part of what I learned in in grad school is black and brown bodies were used for reproductive labor right so I think at some point we internalize that as like that's our value that's our contribution to society right Also, there's people who just want children, right? It doesn't always have to be from a place of trauma. But I think for a large sum of us, that's where that comes from, that internalized colonial resource that is reproductive labor. Um, And so the idea of like not reproducing and not procreating, it's like that wire does not connect because you've never... (laughs) You've never seen it. You've never talked about it. And also it has a tie to religious doctrine, right? To have a child is to be the ultimate closest proximity to godliness, right? It comes back to the Virgin Mary, asexual reproduction, (laughs) you know, purity, all of that. Um, So I think there's like those simultaneous things going on culturally right as a latinx people or folks of the latin american diaspora we're dealing with those different um factors simultaneously so it's it's a lot it's a lot to peel away it's like an onion there's different layers to it um on top of like racism anti-blackness um and all of that 
you know, so I, I think it's like, it's our job to talk about these things and build that sex positive cultura because if we don't talk about it in lack of conversations, you're literally repeating the same things. And I'll give an example, right? Like you don't realize how insidious or how internalized messages you hear from your parents work until you get older. For example, I was having a conversation some weeks back with my husband and we were talking and they were mentioning somebody that, you know, they know and how they use their money. And I was about to say, <laughs> I caught myself. I was about to say, why do they spend their money on all these new gadgets? But before I said it, I caught myself. I was like, oh my God, I was literally going to repeat my dad's financial story, like his financial trauma. Because I remember growing up hearing my dad always worrying about people, other people's wallets. Like, why are you so worried about how people spend their money, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was doing the same thing. I was doing the same thing. So like, imagine now, like relating it now to sexuality and sex ed, like it is that insidious. You won't notice it, but these things come up, you know, yeah. like you will vomit them out and be like, holy shit. I'm like my parents, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's like automatic. It's so ingrained in your blood and in your DNA, you know, like I was just having a conversation with Corey about this and and I was telling her that it's going to happen but but that I don't want her to like think that she has to become me like I want her to know that she's probably going to pick up some of the things I do because we learn through modeling mm -hmm. but I want her to be aware of it because she's her own person too and she deserves to live her own life without you know, just learning everything that I teach her through my own modeling, because I'm working on a lot right now, you know, I'm always working on a lot of different things, because I'm always trying to improve myself as a human, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, working through trauma and working through healing. And so it's just, it's, you, sometimes you can't fight it, you know, it just, it's gonna happen. Um, but I think being aware of it is so important. And you may not always be aware of it in the moment. It may be days later or weeks or months or years that you're like, oh shit, I did that. Or I said that, you know? I wanted to ask you about the birth control summit I saw you speak at recently with Ricky Lake, Abby Epstein. Epstein. Yeah. I wanted to ask you what that was like for you. And um, if you can just tell us a little bit about the work you do around birth control and just raising awareness around the dangers that it can produce for folks. Yeah, that summit was, that was a big deal for me because that was like the largest audience I've, my work has ever presented to. Um, and I was also just honored to be in shared space with other folks like Savannah, you know, the other uh, women of color, um, Tiwa. Yeah, it was just such an honor to be with them because it was the first time I felt like, wow, I'm really in, like, we're at the same level, right? Like, I have to check with other people in my, in my close circle. Like, like, I'm not, like, this is real, right? They're like, <laughs> 
you're like the you're up there now like you are considered a thought leader like you've put in a lot of work now because you know I don't know about you but sometimes I because I'm so hard on myself because I'm trying to always improve I'm always trying to like unlearn I'm always trying to do you know all these things simultaneously sometimes I forget to congratulate myself when those big moments come um and I just consider and I can just like walk past it but for this one I really like sat with it like wow you really are here like pat yourself on the back girl <laughs> like you're really here doing it so that was wow. really cool for me you know and honestly it was just I, I have to think too um um mama glow latham because she's done a great job of uh you know just asking me to do workshops for for their page too for mama glow and so again again guys black women always show up for all of us always yeah always always i want to emphasize that here take care of black women especially amongst latinx folks like you know, we, we cannot just, we cannot just be like, they're my cool friend and I'm going to take from, no, they show up for us. We got to show up for them. You know, we got to protect them. We got to like undo a lot of that shit too. in ourselves, this anti-black, we have to do it. So mm -hmm. I just want to like, take a moment to acknowledge that here for whoever's listening, yeah. do better guys. We, we need to do better in the Latinx community. For ourselves they don't have to do the work for us we need to do it as like non-black latinx people we have to do better yes. um thank you for sharing that because yes absolutely yeah. yeah um yeah so that was just really exciting um yeah so we talked a little bit about like birth control right and um so part of my work was when i started learning because i was really interested from the beginning like where did birth control come from like nobody ever talks about it and so when I did a little bit of research, I found that, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of um, indigenous, specifically indigenous women from Mexico, um, knew how to um, manage their fertility, right? With herbs and specifically wild yam root, like take a certain dose, it helps as contraception or it helps boost conception, right? Um, so that was really eye-opening for me because it made me realize like, okay, this knowledge comes from a lineage. We've just disconnected from it. We've been brought up to believe and we see it now. And here's where I have a gripe with um, like research and stuff like that. Because research is still also like very much led from a white supremacist lens where communities of color are underserved or like uh, at risk, you know, communities. It, it it always paints a picture that body literacy or learning about your cycles is too hard for these communities. They don't have the not they don't have the the basic knowledge. They don't have the know-how to understand how their bodies work. And it's like, no, that's called the deficit mindset. And maybe what we need to do is approach it differently and understand what their lifestyle is and adjust to, you know, making this method workable and applicable to folks that want to use it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's huge. It's just a, it's just a reframe, but it's like so simple, but it's mm-hmm. that deficit mindset that just really messes with us, you know, because we just assume that we can't figure these, that we don't know anything, you know, that we didn't have doctors and architects and technology, you know, back in, back in the days. Literally, like I, the simplest thing that I remind myself is <laughs> if we didn't have corn, maize, nobody in this world would be able to digest it. <laughs> you know, like you, uh, we, our people literally made corn digestible for the rest of the world, tortillas, bread, all kinds of things, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought about it that way, but yeah, absolutely. It's just, we've been conditioned to believe these things, you know, that, that they were uneducated and, you know, that they didn't know anything. And it was the colonizers who came to teach them everything we know now. And mm-hmm. so backwards, but Again, that's why I'm glad we're having these conversations because we're, by speaking through these things, we're speaking into existence, the world we want to live in, where none of that is the case, you know, where we can be who we are without worrying about fitting into someone else's idea of what's the right way or the perfect way, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love how multifaceted your work is, and I think we... We talked mostly about your work, but as a person, you know, I really admire you and what you stand for and the way that you, you know, present yourself and the way that you speak from your heart and your authentic self. I can see it when I, when I watch you talk, you know, when I, when I see you speak. Um, And even just when we're just, you know, chilling, having a conversation, catching up, like, I feel like you're, you're always yourself, you know? And I, and I really appreciate that because it makes me feel safe. Like I can trust you. And like, you know, we're able to have the, the conversations we get to have. I really, um, I love how our work kind of intersects in a way, you know, me working with pregnant folks for the most part, being an educator as well with childbirth ed and you teaching folks how to, you know, get pregnant or not get pregnant, how to be aware of their bodies. Um, I think you and I kind of have a, a nice rhythm where like, I'll send, I'll send you clients, you know, you'll refer me to your folks. And it's just really this beautiful um, upliftment of our community, you know, and the different work that we do. But on a personal level, I want to ask you a question that I ask every guest on this podcast. And that is, how do you embody your highest self? <laughs> um. I've been working on this a lot lately <laughs> through therapy. Therapy has been doing wonders for me. Um, my highest self, <laughs> my highest self, honestly, does not give a F about anything. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't give an F. I will throw on some, I don't know. I'll, I'll throw on some hype music. I really love nineties hip hop. What's your favorite song? What's my favorite song? Oh, well, my favorite rapper has always been Snoop Dogg. I think that's the LA Long Beach thing, right? Long Beach vibe. (laughs) Um, Also love Bone Thugs and Harmony. Like all that stuff. Like I grew up hearing all that stuff, right? It's very LA for anybody who's not from LA. (laughs) You know, it's very LA. (laughs) Um, And it's it's just... um, also throwing on like reggaeton, 
you know, I'm into the Bad Bunny and all, all that stuff now. Um, yeah, th- that type of stuff that hypes me up. You know, like I get excited. I have to hype myself up, I realize, like, because nobody else is going to do it. And I would hear this obviously told to me in a different way when I was younger, but from my mother and from my grandmother, like, si yo no me, si yo no me amo a mi misma, if I don't love myself, who else is going to love me? You know, we hear this all the time, like self-love, self-love, what does it look like? And for me, (laughs) it doesn't look like um, typically in the wellness space, like I'm, I don't know, I'm so zened out and like so in tune with my feminine. Like I know about myself. I've always known this and I, I haven't really shared it too much or maybe people see it in me anyways. I have very masculine energy and my husband has very feminine energy. We've known this since we got like together, right? he's more like a sensitive soul and very in touch and in tune with like the energy in the room. And for me, it takes me a minute to get there. And he'll actually be the one that'll be like, did you notice so-and-so? And And I'm like, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but um, I've learned from him. Obviously this is how our energies work together and we're, we're together for a reason. Um, Also, he's just a really cool person. I love being with him. We don't hear that a lot too. Like in, like marriages or partnership. I really yeah. love being with this person. Um, but anyways, yeah, I'm my high person, my higher self is very masculine, you know. Um, and and I've seen it all throughout my life. Like I was an athlete, not that being into sports, you have to be like tomboyish or like masculine or feminine or trying to like gender that energy, but um yeah, it's a very strong, very like dominant energy. And so, um, yeah, my higher self is like that. I, I, I do that for myself. Like I'll sit down and I'll write, like most of my thesis was with like reggaeton or some rap in the background, <laughs> you know? Love it. It wasn't with a little like, <laughs> you know, you see these movies with writers, like eat, pray, love, they go and they drop. No, it wasn't like that. <laughs> that, that didn't work. That doesn't work for me. You know, um, yeah. I still meditate, but like, I still need to balance it out with like fun, you know, fun energy and hyping myself up. Yeah. I love that so much. I think that's so important because yeah, when we, when we think about tapping into our highest self, we sometimes automatically assume that it's when you are Zen out, when you're, when you're meditating and you're seeing your therapist all the time and you're speaking your truth and you're everything's happening. You have money in your bank account. You're getting booked for clients. Like all these things that validate who we think we are, how we feel about ourselves versus like just being freaking in the moment and being happy and shaking your ass to some good music, you know, like (laughs) it's not that difficult. It's not that complicated, but I love that because I hadn't thought of, I hadn't thought of that, you know, but yeah, that I feel that too. Like, I feel like I'm my high self when I'm in those moments too. Um, these days I have to like be strategic about when I do that because Corey's like, I don't want to listen to your music, but I'm like, <laughs> I explained it to her. I'm like, but this makes me happy. Like this brings me joy. And when I feel joyful, I'm a better version of myself, mm. you know? So I really appreciate you sharing that because I resonate so, so much. And I also feel like I learned something new about you. 
but yeah, thank you so much for talking to me. I feel like we covered a lot, like we covered a lot of the layers of what you do as a, <laughs> as a certified sex educator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is so exciting. Um, I really hope that we will continue to have these conversations and possibly bring you back to the podcast to talk about some more topics because I feel like there's so many layers to all of this and more than anything I want folks to get to know you better because I feel like you have so many talents and so many skills outside of even your work as a certified sex educator that like your writing ability for for me like when I read your stuff I'm just like you're a writer you know like I, and that's another place where I've gotten a lot of inspiration from you is, is your, your writing. Yeah, it's wonderful. So thank you. I I write every day to like always improve, right? Like I'm trying to like, how can I say this different? Like I want to be a good storyteller with my words, you know? So that means so much to me. I'm, I'm so glad that that's translating in real life, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it, your words come right off the page, you know? They flow so easily. I love it. I love it so much. It's super inspirational. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your time, for being here with me. And I'm looking forward to more conversations about all of this and more about you. Thank you. Thank you so much, friend. I love being with you. Thank you.